So we are excited to have our friend, our brother, Reverend Dr. John Stenko. Let's give him a hearty, hearty <laughs> ACAC welcome. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Bishop Owens. And uh, it's been three years since I've been here. I have to refamiliarize myself. And Josh, this is the stage. This is where I stand, right? Is this good? Okay. All right. And this is the microphone. And we're good. All right. Well, yeah, it's... Uh, it's been an unusual three years, hasn't it? Uh, and the world is, is a different place than I was uh, when I was here the last time. But uh, it's great uh, to be back here, although I've never stopped attending. I was on staff for five years, from 2009 to 2014, when I harassed and tortured the rest of the team. The day I left, you heard the immortal words of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. resounding through the halls, free at last. Free at last, thank God Almighty, we are free at last. And uh, so I, when I left uh, uh, the staff, I, you know, I think some people were curious, you know, is there a problem or there an issue? There really wasn't. I just felt like there were some other things I needed to do and I couldn't give my full attention here. And one of them was publishing and writing. I had already published books or written books before I had, uh, uh, before I had left, but I did start a publishing company. And... Um, and so I'm grateful that the leadership has given permission for me to have a book table out in the lobby. So I've got about 50 of my titles out there. I've got daily devotionals. I have a full commentary, 12 volumes on the New Testament. I was busy during COVID. I am a proponent of social media. You will not ever hear me knock it. I think it's a gift of God. I think uh, that uh, we can use to uh, be sharing our testimonies and our stories. And so all throughout COVID, all day, every day, I was on uh, Facebook and other social media, and I took a lot of the things that I posted that I titled Pandemic Proverbs, and I put them in book form, volume one and volume two. And this isn't really a text, it's just uh, laid out where there's boxes with sayings and people use them as uh, devotions or just as uh, things to challenge them in their faith. And so I, uh, and speaking of online, we want to certainly uh, give a shout out to all of uh, the folks who are watching uh, online and uh, they can't access the, the book table. So uh, sorry, uh, we haven't figured that one out yet. A little Star Trekian thing where we can transport uh, things to wherever they are. But come visit the book table and uh, I'll be out there and uh, it, it, I, I am very grateful for the opportunity. Also my website, we'll put that up if we could. Uh, for 30 years now I've been talking to people about finding their life purpose. And the name of my organization is Purpose Quest International. And if you go to PurposeQuest.com, I have a new podcast. I've got hours of uh, video teaching. A lot of my messages that I had preached here that are no longer on the ACAC site are available on my website. So uh, somebody one time, I remember they were sitting right over there, and they looked up at me. I was up here. They said, we were, we're trying to get in touch with you. Like they, they, they couldn't find me. I said, no, you weren't. I said, you put my name in social media. You'll, you'll find me. I'm everywhere. And I really am uh, a, a zealot where, where all the technology is concerned. And I think we saw the, the need for it during COVID, but we were ambivalent about it. And, and uh, I'm not. And uh, I know there's nothing to take the place of face-to-face, -face, 
but uh, at the same time, I, I think there's a lot more we can be doing to broadcasting the good news. And we have the most important message in the universe, and it needs to be available 24-7 in any way possible that we can put it out. All right, I'll get off, my, I'll get off that soapbox and get on one uh, where we are going to talk about uh, Samson. And I know Pastor Allen was there a couple weeks ago. We're just going to double back. I don't think he missed anything. It's, it's a big story. So I had already prepared when he asked me months ago to, uh, to be here to uh, talk about this. So uh, let's dive right in. We're just going to look at one verse because we're going to look at a lot of other verses uh, later on. But we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. And there it says, and what more shall I say? And that's interesting, what more shall I say? Some people believe that the letter to Hebrews was really a sermon that was transcribed. Because why wouldn't it say, what more shall I write? But here it says, what more shall I say? Regardless of whether it was preached and transcribed or written, it's, it's, it's the word of God. And it says, I do not have time, again, it would seem like that's spoken, I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, Cool, Barak, cool, Samson, Jephthah, about David, cool, Samuel, and the prophets. But Samson is mentioned in Hebrews 11, the faith hall of fame. Well, he is. There's no asterisk. There's no star. that You go to the bottom of the page where it explains why he's in there and to kind of apologize if you know the story of Samson uh, he's in there and he's mentioned along with all the other heavyweights so the title of what I want to talk to you uh, today is called a faithful failure or a, a equally good title would be one more time let's go to the Lord in prayer father I ask you, as I always do, for two miracles. One, the miracle of speech, that you would empower and enable me to say the words that Jesus would say if he was here talking to his people. Now, that will require a miracle, Lord, but I surrender all my faculties for that purpose. Help me to say not only what was planned, but more than what was planned. And the second miracle, Lord, will be the miracle of hearing, that somehow you will enable all of us from wherever we're coming from and help us to cut through vocabulary and culture and distractions and interpretations and theories to hear your word and go home and be able to say there was something in it just for me. Now that will require a miracle, but you're a miracle-working God. So together, Lord Speaker and listeners, we join together now that we may have an encounter with you through your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, and it's a hard habit to break, so let me just say, what should I say? Amen. Amen. Well, it's, and the Lord be with you. I forget what the first part was. Anyway, the point to remember, and I always like to have a point to remember. It keeps me focused. It's one thing. You hold me accountable. If I stray too far, so <clears throat> just get back to the point. The point to remember is God can redeem your mistakes if you allow him to do so. Now, redeem 
can, you know, that's a redemption is, is, is one of our words, propitiation and other words that, that we use in a theological sense. But redeem, I always, what helps me remember redeem is I'm old enough, and some of you are going to look at me like, what are you talking about? But my parents used to shop at certain places, and when you shopped at certain places, it, it, depending on how much you spent, they gave you stamps. Yeah, green stamps. And yellow stamps. And if you, you, you spent $50, they'd give you $50 worth of stamps. And they would give you books. And you, my job was to go home and lick the stamps and put them in the pages of the books. And then when you got 100 books or 50 books or 200 books, you could get a, you know, you could, you could get a thermos. Or if you got 1,000 books, you could, you, could, you could get a television. And I'd look through that, that, that catalog. You know, you, you could get something really huge for like 7,000 books. Well, that, that represents a lot of sales. But what you were doing is you would redeem those stamps. You would take the stamps to a redemption center, you would turn in your books, and in return they would give you the prize or the merchandise that, that you were qualified for. That, that, you, that you, had, you really hadn't won it, you had paid for it. And God is able to do the same things with our lives and with our mistakes, he is able to redeem them. If we come to him in faith, we can give those things to him, and he can turn around and give us something in return that's a whole lot better than what we're giving to him. I've always said, I mean, Christianity is the best deal in the universe. We turn over a ranshackle, old, beat-up old life that's not worth anything, and he gives us his life in return. Such a deal. Such a deal. Our, our, our Savior was Jewish. He, he knew how to make a good deal. <laughs> and it benefits us. God can redeem our mistakes, but only if we allow him to do so. Now, I'm sure I'm the only, I'm one of the few in here who has failed. <laughs> no, we all have. And, and, and you know, and, and we're, I, I, when I, I write a weekly uh, uh, email newsletter called the Monday Memo. I've written it for more than 20 years. And, and about once every other year, I used to write about failure, and I'd do it over a six-week period, and I would declare the week at the end of whenever I was done writing, celebrate a failure week. And I encourage people and families and businesses and churches and staffs and teams to talk during that week about the role that failure has played in our development. And, and, and people would write me and say, it's hard because we have to go back through some painful, difficult things. But they would also write me to share the stories of what God taught them out of those failures. Now, when I do leadership training in seminars, I, I go through a little exercise. It's just four statements that I ask the people there, so I'm going to do the same thing for you, and you can respond. First question, is failure a learning experience? Second question, can we often learn more from failure than we do from success? Third question, aren't we always to be learning and growing in the Lord? Therefore, should we not fail as often as possible? 
Let me go back through that again. Is failure a learning experience? Do we often learn more from failure than we do from success? Aren't we always to be learning and growing? Then shouldn't we fail as often as possible? Yeah, see, that's where the rub comes in. And I don't think we should have seven marriages and four bankruptcies and as well, I'm still learning. <laughs> still putting this, <laughs> still got my marriage training wheels, you know, haven't, haven't learned how to do this yet. I would add two words, failing with purpose. The last trip, and Sister Star is here, she always has gone to Kenya with me on a regular basis, and some others have as well. My last trip to Kenya before COVID wasn't the best group trip I've ever done. We tried some new things, and it didn't work out. We failed. But we've gone back and examined that. And Lord willing, if I could go back again next year, we have learned from that. Failure with purpose does have a place. We have this sense that spiritual people, that God is going to speak to us and we are going to hear him perfectly and we are going to carry it out perfectly. That's not how it works. Some of you have done a better job with your second child than you did with the first because you had some failure with the first and they still remind you of it. Yeah, it's always how it is. You never let me do that. With faith, it's possible to be even stronger after failure, as Peter, Moses, David, and Abraham demonstrated. Now, to me, the most significant redemptive failure in the Bible is Samson. Samson's mentioned as a hero of faith in Hebrews, right along with Moses and Abraham. I said there's, there's, there's no parenthetical expression after his name. But where did he exercise the faith? What qualified him to, to have his name in Hebrews 11? Well, let's go back into Judges. We're going to read three passages, make three points, and see if we can answer that question. So we're going to go back to Judges chapter 14. I'm sorry, I know some had said, when are we going to get out of Judges? You know, it's, it's not always the best. So a lot of failure in Judges. A lot of, a lot of people did, who didn't meet anybody's expectations, let alone God's. But let's look at the beginning of Judges chapter 14. Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. And when he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine. I mean, you got to get, how would Samson have talked? Oh, praise the Lord. May I have that woman? I don't think so. <laughs> I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. And, you know, Samson asked for something. You usually gave it to him. His father and mother replied, isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's the right one for me. Boy, haven't we heard that? Now, his parents did not know that this was from the Lord, who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines, for at that time 
they were ruling over Israel. Now, I mean, you just have to stand back and observe this and not try and figure it all out. God, wasn't there a better way to do it? I mean, if you're, if you're going to get in the Philistines' face, but the Lord, he is God. If God has one problem, it's this. He thinks he's God. He apologizes to no one. His ways are higher than ours. And so the first point I want to make is that God is often leading you and you don't even realize it. Even where your purpose is concerned. When I teach and do seminars on purpose, it's, I make the very simple statement, you have something to do that only you can do. You have something to be that only you can be and God wants you to know what it is. And he's been leading you in that and very often you're doing it unconsciously. You don't think it's a big deal. And you wonder why everybody doesn't see the world as you do, but the truth is nobody sees the world like you do. There's never been anybody like you. And somebody next to you is saying, thank God. It's bad enough I have to suffer with her or him. Faith requires that you trust God that he is at work in your life, even in the failures and hardship. I, you know, I got so many examples because I'm getting older now. I got lots of failure. One time I got so lost in Squirrel Hill, I won't go into where I was, and it made me late for where I was going. I thought I knew where I was going, and I didn't, and I got lost. And three years later, I was going, I was back there, and I was going someplace else, and I used that road. I thought, wow, God was preparing me three years ago for this day. One time when we lived in Alabama, and I was by vocation, I was pastoring, but I was also working, and I was at work, and our son was only four or five, and he had a special program at school, and I promised I would be there. I went to work, got into work, and my boss hands me the keys and sends me on an errand. And I get in, and I'm going, and there's a detour. And I make a turn, and there's construction. And I make another shortcut turn, and I'm going. And all of a sudden, I'm in front of my son's school. And the program is at 11 o'clock, and it's 10.58. And I park the van, and I run in. And the teacher said, oh, it's so good to see you. John was so looking forward to you being here. And I said, yeah, I wouldn't have missed it for the world. God was working in me to get me where I needed to be, and I didn't even know he was the one doing it. When I was a child, my father got me started in stamp collection, collecting. And he wanted me to collect the American stamps, which I did, but I loved those international, those worthless international stamps. They were about this big. And they were colorful. And, and we never went anywhere as a family. We lived in the South Hills. The farthest we ever went as a family was to La Trobe. And we acted like we were going to the moon. We would prepare for weeks. We would be monitoring the, the weather report in case it would snow. And it was June. <laughs> but I would sit there and play with those stamps. And I had a world book encyclopedia. Where's... Where's Mozambique? Where's Rhodesia? Oh, look at that. I'm going to go there one day. I've been there. God was using the stamps to rev my engine to go to the world. The 
The most significant failure was when we lived in Alabama, and again, we, uh, I, I had this other job. We were starting a business. All Christians. It was a Christian business. What's a Christian business? <laughs> you know, we put a fish on our, our checks. <laughs> Little cross on the door. I mean, God was so moved. I mean, we prayed. We prayed like Christians pray. I mean, you close your eyes. One time, I, and I, I a lot of times pray with my eyes open. When I first came on staff, somebody wrote Pastor Rock and asked, why does Pastor John pray with his eyes open? Because that's not how Christians pray. And if you're really praying, you look like somebody squeezing your hand and breaking it. Oh, we prayed those kind of prayers. <laughs> we put a business plan together. It had Bible verses in it. I mean, this is cutting-edge stuff. We had a, a pastor. We asked him to come in and anoint the office. I mean, there's no Bible for that. There's no manual. We thought he'd come in, say a little prayer, maybe put a little oil. I mean, he, he brought a bucket of oil. He, he just slung it over the walls. It was, and it hit the walls. And you know, it's oil. So two weeks later, it's still coming down. But we didn't clean it off because it was a visible expression of the anointing of God. <laughs> The problem is, through all that, God didn't get the message. The business failed. And I was left holding all the bills. So I felt nobody else was there to pray. I felt led. And God, save this business for your glory. Like God needed a business for his glory. But I couldn't find any formula to save it. And in my anger one day, I said, if you didn't create me to start this business, what? did you create me to do? And I wasn't looking for information, but God showed me. It was 1981. Ten years later, I started traveling the world teaching people how to find their purpose. Because I thought, if God showed me mine, he'll show others theirs. In the midst of my failure, God was working. God was moving. God was teaching Samson's family didn't understand what was going on, and for that matter, neither did Samson. God was leading Samson, positioning him right where God wanted him to be so he could do what the Lord wanted him to do. It may not seem like the Lord is leading you, but he is. When you feel like God isn't there, that's not the time to trust less. It's the time to trust more. Put your hope in the God of your purpose and keep on moving. And have faith in God even in the midst of your failure. Let's go to another passage. Later in Judges 14. A little longer one this time. Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother. As they approached the vineyards of Timnah, suddenly a young lion came roaring toward him. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. So he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. Now I'd be impressed with anybody who tore a young goat apart. I mean, you know... They seem to put that comparison in like that would, you know, oh, well, now I understand. He did it like you tear a young goat apart. I mean, think, think of what it would take for somebody to pull your Fido apart or your little kitty Mimi. I mean, they got, they got to be a little, they're not in their right mind. But he told neither his father nor his mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and he liked her. And sometime later, when he went back to marry her, he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass. 
And then there was a swarm of bees and some honey. And when he scooped out with his hands and ate as he went along, when he rejoined his parents, he gave them some. And they too ate it. <laughs> but they did not, he did not tell them that he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass. It just makes me laugh. This, this, this honey tastes a little gamey. I mean, I, where did you... <laughs> Where'd, where'd you get this? Oh, I just picked it up on the way here. I stopped into one of the convenience stores. <laughs> oh, okay, it's good. I'm not saying I don't like it. It's just, it's kind of an unusual taste. This is an orange blossom, is it? <laughs> oh, point number two, don't ignore or run from your past. Face it. See, he, he killed a lion. He didn't think anything of it, so much so he didn't tell anybody. Every one of you, even young people here, you've been through something. You maybe prayed for an algebra test that you didn't think you were going to pass, and you did. You killed a lion. Some of you were raised in poverty. You didn't know where the next meal was coming from, but you survived. Some of you, 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 you've gotten through broken relationships. Some of you have done significant things. You've killed lions. And it's okay to go back and draw honey, draw something sweet out of those things that you've accomplished. You know how many people I've helped because of that failed business experience? Every time I go back to it, we laugh, we sing, we rejoice. I've written about it. I've taught on it. I killed that lion. Every time I go back to it, there's honey in it. I'm sharing some of it with you now. That's again why I'm so radical to, we, we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Where is your testimony being told? I'm not going to avoid social media. I'm going to help redeem it. There's that word. I'm going to take what it is and I'm going to exchange it for who I am and I'm going to help control the conversation. One of my books out there is Put Me In, Coach. I'm ready. I've had a lot of failures, but I've killed a lot of lions. You have too. You've made payrolls when you didn't know how the, you were going to make it. You got through COVID. Go back. There's honey there. Even if you didn't do it totally correct. There's honey. Plenty of honey. I would argue that your most significant and life-giving testimonies are not the greatest successes you had, but the greatest failures and how God helped you recover from them. Very often the testimony we should give is the one we don't want to give. But I promise you, there's a whole lot of other humans just like you who need to hear that story. That's why we have growth groups. That, that's, we're, we're doing what we can to help us connect with one another. Because we're in this together. Tell me about your lions. Share some of your honey. When Samson returned to the lion, he brought forth something sweet, even though it was dead, which both fed him and his parents. What 
is it in your past that you thought was dead? And again, it doesn't even have to be negative. When I was in, in Kenya uh, years ago and I was uh, pre speaking in a church on a Tuesday night, I asked people, what did you do as a child that you don't do anymore that may be a clue to what God wants you to do today? And a woman was there, 33 years old, uh, a secretary, hated her job. She loved to knit, re-engaged with her knitting. And today she's got one of the biggest gift distribution entities in Kenya. Because she connected to the past. She went back to a dead lion. People all the time, they come to me and say, well, if I, if, if I write a book, who's going to read it? I say, well, if you don't write it, you've answered that question. We got that taken care of. We don't have to worry about that. But is your concern if I write it, who will read it? Is that the real fear? See, we, I, didn't, I didn't loan my life to the Lord. I gave it to him. You did too. You don't take it back when you don't like what he, where he's investing it or what he's doing with it or how he's leading you. You have faith and you stay the course. I worked for I went, before I went down south. I worked for a man in downtown Pittsburgh, and he was perverse, just perverse. And my finances went down. And one day, the Lord revealed to me, He said, "You get your attitude right towards that man." I said, "Me? He's the perverse one. I tithe. You need my twenty-seven dollars and eighty-four cents every week. If you don't get straight, I'm I'm pulling my my support." God was dealing with me. And that's another story I've used. I, was, I, I, I spoke a message on a years ago called Whistle While You Work. And then eight or nine years later, I was in the uh, Pittsburgh airport. And a woman was looking at me. I thought, I hope I don't owe her money. And, uh, and she said, are you John Stanko? I said, I am. She said, I was just thinking about you the other day. I was thinking about the message, uh, the work message, whistle. I said, whistle while you work. She said, that really helped me the other day. She had heard it nine years earlier. See, we judge our testimonies. Oh, if I share that, I'm drawing attention to myself. Yeah, you are. And that's what you should be doing. How can people see God if they don't see you? Put me in, coach. I'm ready. I've fumbled. I've fumbled on the goal line. I've, I've run wrong routes. I've made missteps. But I have faith. And if I'm going to have faith, I'm going to be a faithful failure. And I invite you to join me. Let's go on. Third passage, a little longer than the other two. We're going to jump to Judges 16. Samson's been captured. They gouged his eyes out. Ouch. If I get something in my eye, I don't like it. They gouged his eyes out. I don't think they sent him to the express clinic after they did it. And so while they, the Philistines, were in high spirits, they shouted, bring out Samson to entertain us. It's kind of like the Academy Awards. You know, they want the gospel choir to come out. And entertain them. And then get off the stage before you talk about any of that religious stuff. 
So they called Samson out of the prison, and he performed for them. What do you do when your eyes are gouged out? When they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, Put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple so that I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women and all the rulers of the Philistines were there and on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Packed house. Then Samson prayed to the Lord. And I want to say, don't you dare pray to the Lord. Who do you think? Do you know what you did? Do you know what you gave away in a band? No, 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 no. You sit in the back and you work your way forward. This is where Samson qualified himself for Hebrews 11. <clears throat> he prayed, O oh, sovereign Lord, remember me. O oh, God, please strengthen me just one more time and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson, oh, you could just, just feel it. Just pretend like you're putting your hands on two pillars. Maybe they're rough. Maybe they're marble. He can't see them, but he can feel them. He reached towards the two central pillars on which the temple stood, embracing himself against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And then he pushed with all his might. And down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than when he lived. What a story. What a God. Point number three. When you fail, it's not time to run from God. It's time to run to him immediately, if not sooner. <clears throat> There's a significant verse found earlier in Judges 16.22, and that is, however, the hair of his head <clears throat> began to grow again <clears throat> after it was shaved off. See, this, his hair was the source of, of his power, and he had forfeited that. I won't go into the symbolism of that, but then his hair started to grow back. Even though Samson failed, the source of his strength, which was his commitment to the purpose that God had assigned him, was still there. At this point in the story, Samson was a miserable failure, so it seemed. He was defeated, blinded, and forced to entertain his enemies. Yet he prayed and God heard him, and Samson literally brought the house down at his last performance. See, we all need one more time faith, even if we haven't failed. God, I've, I've, I've made commitments. I've tried to help missionaries and I've messed up my finances. But one more time says I'm going to make another commitment. <clears throat> I said I was going to go on a trip and I messed it up. <sighs> but I see there's another trip. One more time. God, I've done something I shouldn't have done. But I know there's somebody else out there Who's probably done the same thing. Show me who they are. How can I? One more time. Now you got to admire Samson's faith. If failure disqualifies someone, then what was Samson doing praying? What right did he have to ask God for another chance? And why did God hear his prayer? God heard Samson's prayer because Samson had faith. For the purpose of this discussion, Samson was a faithful failure, and God didn't seem to mind. Brothers and sisters, the point to remember as we close 
is that God can redeem your mistakes if you allow him to do so. But if you're pretending to be who you think you're supposed to be, who you think God wants you to be, he can't transform you into the person he wants you to be. And it starts with a, with a transparency and an open heart that says, one more time, faith. God, I'm coming to you. Close with this story. I don't usually use third-party illustrations, but I'll use one now. I had a student at Geneva College, an adult, and he runs one of the biggest drug testing clinics here in the city now, but he told me, Dr. Stanko, he said, I was, a, I was on the streets. He said, I was a drug addict. He said, 28 times, 28 times I walked into a church, said I was done, and walked out those 28 times and got right back into the lifestyle. He said, on the 29th time, I went into a church, and I came out, and I haven't done drugs since. And I said, that's one more time faith. And you and I need that kind of faith. If not in the face of failure where we're coming back, just in the face of, of opposition that says, I will not give up. And if I have to be labeled a faithful failure, then so be it. Let's bow our heads. We're going to close the prayer. I'm going to ask all of you to stand in a minute. But first, with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you need to make a profession, a confession, that one more time is your mantra, it's your standard, it's your stand, it's your declaration to God tonight. Heads bowed, eyes closed, just want you to stand where you are. I'm not going to embarrass you, I'm not going to call you forward. Just stand up, I want to pray for you. Thank you, yes, someone else, yes, yes. I don't know, I can't see most of you with the lights. You won't impress me if you stand or you don't. God bless you. Stand. Stand. This is do business with God. Stand. This is part of one more time. You've stood before. You've made commitments before. <laughs> but you're standing again. Father, for my friends, for my brothers and sisters, for my comrades, I pray, Lord, that the spirit of Samson would come upon them. And that no matter what reason they're standing for, you will see them tonight and you will grant them the success that has escaped them in the past just like you did for Samson. God, speak to them and show them how you have redeemed and want to redeem whatever they have been through for your purpose and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together. Yeah, God is a good God, isn't he? Who can understand him? We can't. We just worship him. So I pray as you go that one more time faith will be your motto to do what it is that God wants you to do. God bless you. Go in peace.